Oh man, the appreciator's back. And have you been checking out Frank Nora's Italy trip? This is just deliciousness. Uh, Venice. And, and it, it's like, well, without the visual component, which I don't know, hearing the description and the way Frank can just share his experience verbally is very magical. It's right up there and a lot less cynical per se. Uh, Gene Shepard did a lot of travel shows where he would go all over, but his live, like the recordings he would bring back, it was more like they couldn't find ever what he was actually looking for because he was never that organized or his engineers were just lost with his mislabeled crazy tapes. But Frank really does bring us right there. And Denise, Denise is sainted for putting up with walking around with a narrator uh, through her vacations and trips and that wedding Lord, that now that's a wedding, a small town in Italy, old school, th th hours and hours. And no, you don't really hear the hours and hours, but you feel the experience through the way Frank relates it. And if for some reason you've been shying away because some of the episodes are a little long, shy not. This is incredible audio gold that is right there for nothing. And Frank, uh, the, um, thank you for these amazing shows. And yes, Shambles just keeps going also with his wonderful, nostalgic look at the early William Hartnell Doctor Who episodes. The, these are my favorites. And we share a love for this naive science fiction and uh, we exchanged a little in the comments section on the latest show. Uh, I think Marco Polo serial was the one that he was talking about. These It just brings back some sort of time when I first really grokked, discovered, and learned to appreciate uh, Doctor Who. Because, as I've said, uh, the, the ones with Tom Baker were ubiquitous on TV in my late teens and early 20s. And those were okay, but I was never, like, so fascinated. Maybe it's my thing for early TV, because I do have a thing. I watch old kinescopes when I get a chance, and kinescopes were the thing before videotape. What they would have to do to preserve, rerun, and document uh, the original old TV shows back in the day was they had a setup where they would film a TV screen as the show was being transmitted live. And some of these, not many, uh, there must have been tons more and they were in warehouses somewhere and got, you know, loaned out uh, and destroyed, lost, thrown out because they took up a lot of space. Let's face it, film takes up a lot of space. And where I grew up in upstate New York, there were these companies. People from New York would come up for the summer, rent what they would call a bungalow, and it would be much cooler than staying in New York in the days before when everybody had an air conditioner. And they 
for night entertainment. There were these companies that worked just during the summer, and they had this huge library of films. Uh, yeah, once in a while they would get a movie that was relatively current and show it. But more often than not, there would be these weird variety programs for the community of the bungalow colony to gather, and maybe uh, the place where they showed them, which they would usually call the casino, which would be like a small auditorium with folding chairs they would set up and a screen in the front. And uh, somebody would project these and I guess whatever they could get. And uh, a lot of the people didn't even have air conditioning in their bungalows, but the casino would have air conditioning. So of an evening, you would get your wife and the kids and you would go to the big air conditioned room with the community and watch these films, and I think that's where a lot of these kinescopes, because a lot of TV came out of New York way back in the day, live television, and they would get played and film would get broken and lost and damaged and just sit on shelves and rot. Who knows? But uh, I bet somewhere in the Catskills there may well be a cache of these kinescopes and BBC, as Shambles has said, were not, even though these were, I believe, videotape, that videotape was expensive. So a lot of these, they would record a show, and if they were going to rerun it, rerun it, and then use it to tape again. It's strange, but perhaps, I mean, like the Overnight Scape Underground, I am sure there are a very select you who someday in the future will feel compelled and take the time to listen to as much of everything if not everything held in that giant onsug and there was a time when i first started listening it was vaguely approachable i mean i'd made it through all of the gene shepherd shows that existed although a couple hundred more have turned up since, and I've probably heard 95% of the shows that are currently what they would call in circulation, and I know the great Max Schmid has probably the collection, and he has some that he plays from time to time on his show at BAI that I have not heard, and it's just so much. I don't know that I could ever hear it, much less what we have. I mean, even if you decided, okay, I'm just going to listen to the shows with Frank, Edward, Nora, and further, you say, I'm only going to listen to the Overnightscape and the Frank, Nora shows. I'm not going to listen to the 40 minutes each week for, what, the last 13 years that he has done on the Overnightscape Central. It's just daunting, but magical at the same time, knowing that there's always more. This, I mean, it's a, what, 20-year project now to even think about listening to everything in the giant onsug. It's bigger. Oh, man, it really is a magical thing what we have going there. And 
I have a Vic and Sade episode, another Christmas episode from 1941 to share with you now. Um, because I haven't, this show, uh, I've been focusing, and in fact, if you are a Vic and Sade lover, as am I and many of us, the latest, number 10, Big Appreciation Showcase has lots of Vic and Sade right at the beginning, including one of the early epic Vic and Sade casts that Jimbo did. Uh, I got the privilege of doing some of them with him, and this is one of those. So there's probably an hour and a half of great Vic and Sade awaiting you there. And uh, let's listen to this one, complete with the delicious and bizarre Crisco commercial. Hello there. Get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Vic and Sade. Vic and Sade, written by Paul Reimer, is brought to you each weekday by Procter & Gamble, the makers of the new Sure Mix Crisco. Well, Nora, what are you doing in the kitchen at this hour? Making an experiment. Experiment? Uh-huh. Remember that cake Ruth served at her party tonight? Oh, yeah. Say, that was a swell cake, all right. That lemon filling was a honey. And as for that cake, boy, it was as light as a feather. I know. And when I saw you on your third piece, I figured it was high time I found out how Ruth made her cake so light. Oh, does she make them different than you do? Yes. She uses a new kind of shortening. Sure mixed Crisco, she called it. And the Crisco people say it can give you lighter cakes than any other shortening they know of. It's funny that shortening should make so much difference. <laughs> no, that's just what I thought. But Ruth said it's because Crisco is a different kind of shortening. It's made by an exclusive process that makes Crisco an active blender. Active blender? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Well, that's what I'm out here finding out. Ruth gave me some Crisco to take home, and she told me to put a tablespoon of Crisco in a glass like this, mm -hmm. and then to add a teaspoon of water and stir it a little. Well, by golly, fat and water aren't supposed to mix, but that Crisco is taking the water right up. Yes, folks, it's amazing, I know. But Crisco does take water right up. And Crisco does the same thing with your cake ingredients. Active blending means that Crisco helps your milk and your eggs and your flour mix together more completely than ever before. You get a smoother cake batter with Crisco than with any other shortening. A satin smooth cake batter that gives you lighter cakes. If you want lighter cakes, it's purely up to you. Crisco is waiting to give them to you. Make one of your favorite cakes. Use the same recipe, the same ingredients. Change nothing but your shortening. This time, use new Sure Mix Crisco. That cake can prove that Crisco gives you lighter cakes than any other shortening. Well, sir, the evening meal has been over only a little while, as our scene opens now. And here in the living room of the small house, halfway up in the next block, we find Mr. and Mrs. Victor Gook. Vic is established at the library table, competing with himself in a brisk game of solitaire. His wife sits nearby, ostensibly glancing through the newspaper. Actually, however, she's reading what's scribbled on a piece of scrap paper she just happened to spy beside her on the arm of the Davenport. And of a sudden, she says in expostulating tones... No, Vic. Big pardon? You're not going to send Christmas presents to all these fellas. All what fellas? On this scrap of paper. That is a private scrap of paper. Well, it's laying here on the arm of the Davenport, pretty public. I meant to throw it in the garbage bucket and forgot. No, but goodness. Goss fuss, L. Wiley Fab. 
U.F. Beakley, T.W. Weatherwax, Howard S. Some of those guys I'm going to send Christmas cards to. No, I'm reading the list marked gifts. You got one list marked cards and one list marked gifts. This is the one marked gifts. I feel that I'm quite capable of deciding to whom I wish to send Christmas presents. In fact, I... We have the same rotten old argument every year. I know we do, and it's the most distressing thing. I had intended to handle my own Christmas giving this time and make no mention of the matter around home here. However, I slipped up. Before supper, I jotted down a bunch of names on that piece of scrap paper there and, and carelessly allowed it to come under your eye. Who's Gus Foss? A warm friend and a good scout. Never heard of him. He's with the Consolidated Kitchenware Company, Plant 17, Dubuque, Iowa. Oh. I believe I pointed you out his picture on the cover of the last Kitchenware Dealers Quarterly. Shirt sleeves. What? Fella in his shirt sleeves, vest but no coat, earmuffs on his ears. Yeah, that's best fuss. Why should you have to send him a big expensive Christmas present? Is some mention made of big expensive Christmas presents on that list? We might as well shovel our money out the window with a coal scoop. I suggest you save your breath, Sadie. I'm determined that Gus Fuss will receive some slight token from his old pal Vic at Christmas time. Spend five or six dollars, hmm? Very possibly. Let's draw our lovely money out of the savings bank and go throw it in the middle of Miller Park Lake. All right. Let's do. Who's L. Willie Fapp? L. Wiley Fapp. Who's he? Another wonderful fellow from Plant 17, Dubuque, Iowa. Is he a dear old darling chum of yours? I feel that between L. Wiley Fapp and myself, there exists a firm bond of friendship. Yes. Funny, I never heard any of these beloved arms around the neck buddies. I've mentioned L. Wiley Fapp on numerous occasions. I recall mentioning him just the other day. I was telling you and Rush about how he bought me a chocolate bar when I was in Dubuque. He bought you a chocolate bar, so you feel like you have to trot out your pocketbook and get him a big, monstrous, expensive Christmas present. Oh, kiddo, for Pete's sake. No, but actually, every year in the world we go through the same business. You cook up a list of fellas a mile long to send gifts to. Why? Please give me credit Gus for having... Gus Foss, five dollar present. Nell Willie Yap, five dollar present. L. Wiley Fapp. L. Wiley Fapp That's is... ten dollars. A... My goodness, ten dollars. All that's fondulix. Just because Jess Mess bought you an ice cream cone. Not Jess Mess, Sadie. Gus Fuss. And it wasn't an ice cream cone. It was a chocolate bar. And it wasn't Gus Fuss bought it for me. It was L. Wiley Fapp. Furthermore, January, I think February, I'm, March, April, I'm May, June, July, August, thanks. September, October, November. We scrape and save and scrimp and accumulate money to put in the bank and are proud of ourselves. Then along comes December and something happens to your head and we take the bread out of our mouth to buy presents for all the fellas on this list. Well, must be 20 fellas down here. And you're going to give them all $5 presents. And what's five times 20? A hundred? Was when I went to school. Think of it. A hundred dollars. No, Vic, let's do that. Do what? Draw our money out of the savings bank and go throw it in the middle of Miller Park Lake. I presume you have friends you intend to remember at Christmas time? Just a teeny tiny rotten few. Robert and Laurestine Price, Chuck and Dottie Brainfeeble, Bess and Walter, Fred and Ruthie, Mr. and Miss Donahue, Uncle Fletcher and Miss Harris, you and Rush. That's about my list. You're a housewife. I'm a businessman. Naturally, a businessman has many more obligations oh, in the matter Oh, fiddly-whittle. Of... Who's this U.F. Beakley? 
You have Beakley happens to be the exalted Big Dipper of the Purple Prairie Popinjay chapter of the Sacred Stars of the Milky Way in Moline, Illinois. A wild stranger. The gentlemen whose names you see on that scrap of paper are not wild strangers. The gentlemen whose names... They're wild strangers as far as I'm concerned. It's U.F. Beakley now. What you gonna buy him for Christmas? A gold watch and chain. No. U.F. Beakley gets a gold watch and chain. Gus Fuss gets a leather easy chair. No. L. Wiley Fat gets a 16-cylinder automobile. T.W. Weatherwax gets a set of office furniture. Howard S. Montgomery gets a ruby ring. I. Edson Box gets a yacht. And Sam Shout gets a solid platinum coat hanger. Ha, ha, ha. Percy X. Snoot gets an emerald necktie clasp, for which I propose laying out $15,000 hard cash. Very funny. Ha, ha, ha. Well, it's very funny. Ha, ha, ha. This dimwit talk. I'm not going to buy all those guys five-buck presents. You ought to know that. How much are you going to spend? Well, I can't tell. Haven't thought about it. Fifty cents, maybe. Seventy-five. Dollar and a quarter. What kind of a gift can you get for fifty cents? I don't know, say. No, but what kind can you? I don't know. There's twenty names on this list. Are there? I counted them. Mm-hmm. Suppose you bought twenty fifty-cent presents. What would that add up to? Ten dollars. Well, we're not the kind of people, Vic, where ten dollars is grow on trees out in our front yard, you know. Mm-hmm. We got to squeeze our ten dollars into the Eagle House. Mm. Can't you cut down on some of these names? Sure. You can? Sure. You're just saying that. No. You're just saying that so I'll quit talking. No, you cut down the list yourself. Scratch out anybody you choose. Scratch out Gus Fuss. Scratch out L. Wiley Fat. Scratch out Percy X. Snoot. Here's my pencil. You'll just make out another list. Oh. Won't you? Please say of course, you're doing your best to make me out stingy and mean. You know I'm not, though. You know, I'm only trying to... Telephone's ringing. Telephone's ringing. All right, get it. Mm-hmm. Gus Fuss, L. Wiley, Sapp, U.S. Beakley, T.W. Weatherwax, Howard S. Montgomery, I. Edson Box, Sam Shout. Hello? Why, no, he's not. Down to YMCA, I believe. Uh-huh. Well, I suppose, watching a fat man play handball. Who is this? Oh, hello, Rooster. How are you? Uh-huh. Fine, thanks. Yeah, I think you'll find him there. Okay, Rooster. Mr. Davis, by George. No, but what can you get for 50 cents? Derby hat. Seriously? I don't know. Can't get any very substantial Christmas gift for that little bit. I'm just going to buy these fellas trifles, say. You expect to receive Christmas presents from them? Sure. I don't remember you getting any 20 gifts from your business friends last year, or any year. I got quite a few. What did Russ Buss send you? Russ Fuss? Yeah. Sent me a necktie. Where is it? In Cody, Wyoming, under heavy guard. I don't remember any necktie. Oh, say. No, but I don't. Gus Fuss, give me a necktie. 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 Funny, you can't tell me which one. Gus Fuss, give me a necktie. What did Bill Willie Phipps send you? Bill Wiley Fat. Yeah. Send me a necktie. I don't recall you receiving any bushel baskets full of neckties last Christmas. Bill Wiley Fat sent me a necktie. U.F. Beakley sent you a necktie also? Yes. What color was it? Green? Yes. T.W. Weatherwax sent you a necktie? Yes. T.W. Weatherwax sent me a necktie. 
Then Howard S. Montgomery and I Edson Box and Sam Shout and Percy X. Snood. Yes. Just refused to discuss this with me. It's all so wretched and pointless and miserable. I'm only trying to do what any wife would do, Vic. Thanks. If I see places where your lovely salary can be economized on a little, naturally I do my best to track them down. Mm. January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November. We watch our pennies and save and scrimp and are real proud of our thriftiness. Then December comes along and you trot out your lead pencil and fix up Christmas lists with... Muscus and gel billy sap and T.W. weather wax and sand. Telephones ringing, telephones ringing, telephones ringing. Right. I bet it's good old Vernon Peggers. Mm. Or good old Roy Snow. Or good old Smelly Clark. Yeah. Maybe it's good old Leland Richards. Could be good old Fred and Ruthie. Hello? Oh, yes, it is. Fred and Ruthie? Yeah. How are you, Dr. Sleech? Oh, just sitting around with our shoelaces in our eyelets. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, sir, by George, Ruthie, I'll just go to work and see. They feel like 500. All right. Sadie hit the ceiling with ecstasy at the prospect, Ruthie. Fine. 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 Okay, dandy. See you, Ruthie. Bye-bye. Come in here, hmm? Yep. Right away? Within the next half hour. Hmm. Just fast. L. Willie Fapp, U.S. Beakley, T.W. Weatherwax, Howard S. Montgomery. Please, Sadie. I. Edson Box, Sam Shout. Please. Percy X. Snoop. Sadie. What? Please. Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. But don't forget to come along when we visit Vic and Sadie the next time. This is Ed Hurley, he's speaking. Washing, washing with the new ivory flakes. Oh, but they're slick, they're double quick, and just the trick for stockings. Wearing, wearing, oh, how your stockings wear. If you'll be bright and every night use double quick ivory flakes. Yes, sir, the important thing is don't let your stockings pile up. Why, if you'll just walk up to that wash bowl every night and swish your stockings through those pure ivory flakes suds, well, believe me, it sure can be a lifesaver when it comes to longer stocking wear. Why, it's amazing the wonderful wear women got when they tested many leading brands of silk stockings for us with new ivory flakes. For example, during a test with some beautiful Gotham gold striped stockings, women got 311 hours of wear, 319 hours, even as much as 340 hours of constant hard wear from a single pair of stockings. And when you think that silk stockings may soon be getting scarce... Well, take the advice of experts. Remember, nine out of ten leading makers of famous stockings advise new double-quick ivory flakes for both their silks and their nylons. So every night give hose a dip, the nightly bath don't ever skip with those new ivory flakes. They're marvelous for longer wear. Oh, man, the golden age of stockings and Vic and Sade. Oh, man, uh, some, some interesting side notes. I, I looked up. Crisco, just to find out how new Crisco was at the time of this recording in, what, 1941. And uh, it's shocking to know that uh, the product was introduced in June 1911, and it was the first shortening to be made entirely of vegetable oil. They originally used 
cotton seed oil. Um, I don't know anything about that, but I do know that they sold out their interests in 2002, and the product is now owned by B&G Foods. So I don't know how new Sure Mix Crisco was. Maybe they changed the formula, new and improved, so to speak, which I don't know. That's as much an advertising ploy as anything, usually. And the term Dr. Sleech, I have not been able to track down where this came from, but there is a cartoon with a woman, Dr. Sleech, a science fiction doctor called The Hospital. And if anybody's heard anything about this, I'm going to have to do more research. But uh, I wonder, are the people who created this program Vic and Sade fans? That could be uh, an interesting sidelight. Cakes light as a feather. Man. And... Yeah, the, the Vicks Lodge, it, every so often they toss off just the names, and proper names and titles, all his friends, and the guy who's the head of the Purple Prairie Poppinjay chapter of the Sacred Stars of the Milky Way. Uh, just marvelous, marvelous humor going on there. And yeah, we love Vic and Sade, as you may well tell. And, and we've got a few minutes here, so I want to get back to the freakout list. And we were up to a name uh, that this, on the freakout album, there is uh, a list that uh, these people have contributed materially in many ways to make our music what it is. Please do not hold it against them. And we've only done a few of the names. This is going to take a while, obviously. Because I don't, as long as we have the time, I don't want to gloss over Alice Stewart, who was a lady blues and folk guitarist who was very briefly uh, attempted to be incorporated in the original Mothers of Invention when they were a bluesy, soul giants, white, uh, I don't know what, uh, back then, you know, it was all folk music in the early 60s and blues and white people playing blues was kind of new. So this all fits in with that. So that's who Alice Stewart was. She later went on to do a little bit of work on her own and is an obscure but known figure in that. And uh, next we have Lillian Rudolph. Aha, Lillian Rudolph is... Not yet identified, so must have been somebody he personally knew or something at some point. Let's just keep moving here. Next, we have Mark Cheka, C-H-E-K-A. There's not a lot of information on him, but uh, I have determined that he was Zappa's first manager of the Mothers of Invention era, who handed the reins over to... Herb Cohn, who is mentioned uh, by name in a number of occasions on Zappa albums and live shows. And he was Zappa's manager for, what, about 10 years? Um, let's see. Yeah, they split company around 1976, 
uh, after Zappa claimed that Cohn and his lawyer brother Martin were profiting unduly from his earnings. This all came around the Zoot Allures album era, which was, yep, that was a big change for uh, Zappa albums and records and him taking control of his stuff. But uh, let's see, uh, he was the manager of such acts as Linda Ronstadt, Frank Zappa, Tim Buckley, a very curious character, the folk singer Odetta, Tom Waits, yep, Tom Waits in the early days. In fact, Zappa's label Straight released some of Tom Waits' earliest material, very different than what he became. The Turtles and, uh, yeah, L.A.-based stuff in the 60s and 70s. Um, He even put on concerts back in the 50s with, like, Odetta, the folk singer, and Keith Seeger, who was one of the popularizers and heroes well into, what, the 90s, early 2000s, whenever there was an event, Pete Seeger was there with his folk songs. Um, he was tied in with Woody Guthrie and that whole folk scene. So this, Herb Cohn, there was a lot more to him than I thought, and he passed on at the age of 77 back in 2010. So we got a few more names um, down. We're just going to chip away at this. And I have a sneaking suspicion, as I've said before, that Mark Rose and I are going to take some time in the Appreciator Special Zappa series to go over this list because, yeah, we love this obscure Zappa trivia. And uh, we will do more of these appreciators and as always i appreciate you lending your ears and your time to me driveling on and uh having my own little nostalgia fest here on the overnight scape underground and yeah uh, until we meet again let's just say to set the controls for the heart of the fun